Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today, my guest is Sam Morris. Those of you who watch British television will remember Sam from the British X Factor. But those of you who are fans of the erotic arts might know Sam from his website, where he is extremely intimate with how much he shares with his audience. I'm talking about sex. Sam is a wonderfully, wonderfully sex-positive person, and he's going to talk to us about his work as a as an erotic artist, his work as an author, his work as a singer, dancer, actor, and we're going to learn a lot about this very fascinating, very sweet, very sexy person. That's all today on the brand new episode of Hi, Jinx! So, sink your teeth in and hunker down and buckle up or whatever it is I usually say. The point is, welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx. Forever! Hello everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today, we are joined by erotic artist, friend of mine, and all-around hot boy, Sam Morris. Hi, Sam. Hi, Jinx. Shall we tell um, the listeners exactly exactly where we are right now? (laughs) (laughs) It's up to you. That's your prerogative. So um, I am in the UK right now, currently on tour with my uh, show Together Again Again, my cabaret hit musical tour in the UK right now. Anyway, um, Sam came over to my flat because he lives in London, and um, the only place that made any sense for us to record (laughs) sound-wise is the closet in my bedroom. So we are now sat on the floor of the closet in my bedroom. The floors are heated. We can't turn the floors off. We are sweltering. (laughs) Um, We're going to be sweating by the end of this. It's a little bit of a sauna in here (laughs) which you're used to you're used to the sauna atmosphere um we're sat on the floor the microphones on a suitcase between us (laughs) this is very diy podcasting right now um it feels kind of it's you know it's it feels right I, i i just got announced on all stars and you know what I'll still get down on the floor of a closet to record a <laughs> podcast with a friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so Sam, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm I'm rethinking wearing a merino wool sweat. I mean, by all today. means, take off as much clothing <laughs> as you want. Um, we want you comfortable here. Um, Sam Morris, you first graced UK televisions on the show X Factor, the UK. X Factor. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that experience? I did. Um, so I've dabbled in pretty much everything, I guess, through my 20s. Um, 
so I was in a boy band and <laughs> we went into the X Factor after like, you know, we were doing mu the music thing for like a good couple of years and then we had like management and whatever and then they basically put us into the X Factor. What was the name of the boy band? Oh God, do I have to say? I mean, you don't have to. I'm not going to make you say anything oh, you God. want to say. Oh God, I thought we going to be Googling you can't bring, it. You can't bring up the boy band I know. And, and not tell me the name. Okay, so we were called Plastic. <laughs> and I just remember, actually, I remember this really funny moment on X Factor. And I'm sure it was like, I'm sure it was Sharon Osbourne said, and are you? And we just kind of all just stood there like silent. We like <laughs> didn't know Except, why we'd... Did you say it like this? And, but are you? Yeah. Sharon Osbourne. It was that. <laughs> um, Educate me. Are you plastic? <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was a, it was an odd an odd moment but um yeah it was odd because it was like almost like a final choice for me i didn't really want to go into that um i'm not a big fan of like that sort of stuff reality tv but the label essentially put us into it i did not know about this whole past life of yours yeah. i knew you were on x factor i figured you had gone on you know with your ukulele or something mm -mm. <laughs> it was not that authentic or that yeah it was not that <laughs> i wish um but so, yeah, how many other members of the boy band? There was were there? two, two of there was three of us all together. So two others. Does that count as a boy band? I think so. I feel like band starts at at <laughs> well, four people. Three's a crowd now. Yeah, I mean, you're more like Hanson at that. It point. was Hanson. <laughs> it was the gay Hanson, definitely. Were you all three? You were all three queer. Yeah, yeah. And were you all three extremely attractive? Mm. <laughs> Oh, they might be listening. I think I'll, I'll I think I would. I don't think I would have passed as attractive at that point. What are you talking to be about? Honest. Yeah, it was I guess not I haven't my... looked you up from. <laughs> it was not my finest hour. You're you're known now for being extremely attractive. Oh, thank How... you. <laughs> I mean, you're also very intelligent. You're talented. Um, you're very kind. You're very sweet. But you've kind of since the X Factor boom, you've kind of. Built a uh, built a brand for yourself based on, you know, your aesthetic of being a very attractive man. Um, <laughs> I say that because nowadays you are an erotic artist and your aesthetic is a big part of your career. Um, would you say, give us a percentage, how much of it is smoke and mirrors and how much of it is, um, I mean, I'm looking at you right now. You are objectively attractive, <laughs> but how much of, how much of the Sam Morris personality that we get on your website and we get through your social media, how much of that is um, a curated aesthetic versus who you are as a day-to-day -day human being? Um, I would say like quite heavily curated, <laughs> if I'm being completely frank. I think it's quite heavily curated. I don't feel like, like I'm still, I'm still, a, I'm still a highly sexual person and I, you know, I'm an artist really like in, you know, my soul and I, that's how I express myself. But definitely what I'm portraying on social media, which a lot of people and in my work in general, a lot of people assume that I'm extremely confident. <laughs> I don't know, like person that just sort of just like elicits sex and just like, I know, I'm not, if like anyone that meets me in person, it's quite... Um, a vast difference, I think, mm. from what I'm giving out on social media. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, there's two different Sams, really. There's the Sam on, on the internet that I kind of created to, I don't know, it's like an alter ego, I guess. And then 
the real Sam. The real Sam. Which is a lot more boring, I think, probably. This is <laughs> this is kind of a left turn, but have you ever met a straight male Sam? Because I know many, many male Sams in my world. Every single one of them are gay. The only other Sam I know is gay, actually. I th- I don't think. Why is that? I, I'm. This is this is Jinx Monsoon um, <laughs> making a request. Any straight male Sams, please make yourself known because I'm not sure that you exist. Uh, <laughs> so l- let's let's go back. I kind of like um, I took us off topic because I I wanted to um, give some context as to why I was yeah. bringing up your aesthetic and your attractiveness while we were just talking about your your X Factor work. But why do you say you were you wouldn't classify yourself as attractive when you were on X Factor? What's what was different about you then to now? Um, I was like really late developer. Like I developed <laughs> really really late. How old were you on X Factor? Mm, I was actually like twenty five. Uh-huh. But even by then, like I like I was like the last person, like the last boy in my school to like whose voice broke, and like mm. I wasn't really sexually active until I was like eighteen. Like I was like a really late bloomer, and so like <laughs> I feel like my it almost was like a late adolescence for me during my early twenties. So. Mm. I only really started feeling more confident in myself and more like sexually expressive in my late 20s, actually, mm-hmm. after I'd kind of come out of that phase. I guess it's a phase, but I also think it was like a necessary like exploration for me mm. to go through to get where where I arrived to be at, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never felt I never felt attractive. Like, mm. I don't know. I mean, I can relate to that. I feel like... Um... You know, it's funny because when I was on TV for the first time, it was, I was 23 when we were filming. I was 24 by the time the season was airing. And I never felt attractive then. But I was young and I was thin and I was twinky and all my hair was still there (laughs) without major surgery. (laughs) It's funny because now I'm 34 and having grown up with this like conditioning, believing that, you know, as a queer person, your life ends when you hit 30. Uh, That's at least what queer as folk told me. Now I'm 34 and I feel more attractive now than I ever did back Mm. then. And a big the the thing that caused that is that I embraced my truth and my true identity yeah. um, and kind of stopped denying things for myself and fully embraced them. And now I look in the mirror and I feel like my reflection is the person I always saw on the inside of me. Mm. Whereas in my early 20s, I was very much trying to present what I thought was going to be socially acceptable. I was doing boy drag back then. Right, yeah. So um, what led you to your, you know, your awakening? Your uh, What led you to, from X Factor to you're having an awakening and, um, you know, you're finding yourself in your late 20s. What led to that? I think it was through really my work and taking pictures. And I think, like, it's good to note that during the whole time I was making music and was performing in in whatever way, I was a photographer as a side hustle. That Mm. was always my side hustle. I was working for agencies and um, shooting like dancers and actors, headshots and portfolios and stuff like that. So I was, I always had a camera in my hands. And so that was a way that I like kind of, I then started taking like self portraits of myself and I know 
started to do some more sexy self-portraits and I kind of liked how I looked like I started to then see myself and kind of I don't know like pose in particular ways or like you know like myself in particular ways or like edit myself in particular ways where I then was then like actually like you you can be quite sexy and it was like a it was a slow process but it was a way for me to then explore um I guess my own sexuality through an Turning artistic the camera out. back on yourself. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was it was like an out, an artistic uh, um, outlet as such, um, mm. and I think that was I don't know a slow walk into really like what I end up doing and what I do today. Really, mm. um, it obviously wasn't paying my bills. It was something <laughs> I just did for fun, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to really love it. It was like, it was a very like... Um, you used to really love it. <laughs> well, Is it that it's become more work these days? Well, now it's than, different because now, yeah. now I, you know, I don't know, it's not as novel. Mm-hmm. And like, as you said, like, obviously I'm like 34 this month. So you start to, I don't know, you start to look at the world differently. You look at yourself differently in your, when you're crawling into your mid thirties. Um, you just it just feels different you know it's not as exciting like discovering yourself because you've already sort of done it it's more like you're embracing yourself and then kind of working out how you're going to take this person through the rest of your life I feel like for me that's what it where that's where I'm at now is how do I where do I go with this now moving forward Um, so yeah (laughs) (laughs) so okay so X Factor. You're doing photography as a side hustle. You start turning the camera on yourself. Um, I imagine you start posting pictures to your social media and you get a positive response. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yes, that. I guess that was like the early days. I mean, I was like a Tumblr kid. Mm -hmm. So I used to like scroll through Tumblr and obviously Mm -hmm. it was all like, it's like a mixture of basically porn photography art and there was this like really like great mixture and so I kind of took all of that inspiration and kind of created my own stuff and then started posting on there like Tumblr before Instagram really and was it was it nude and erotic right away or was it implied nude was it just scantily clad (laughs) (laughs) scantily clad I think it was like implied for a good while actually Mm -hmm. and I think that um I think that tease that I kind of played with for quite a long time online mm-hmm. actually probably like led to the launch of my site as being being as successful as it was yeah. because the tease took so long. Just years and years of just making years. people really, really want it. Yeah, years. <laughs> yeah, literally. Um, so, yeah. And then, I, and then I started working with a lot of different photographers. I used to like, I used to contact every every photographer online that mm. I followed or whatever in the States, in the UK, in Europe, whatever. And I would literally be like, like, do you want to shoot with me? Like I would mm. anyone, all of them. I just harassed them until they would shoot with me. And then I used to just shoot with like so many photographers. And like that was really kind of what then started the growth of my social media really because I started to shoot with all these different photographers yeah. around the world. I've been learning a little bit more um, my... My photographer, Alec White, who who does a lot of my promo shots these days and shoots me a lot when I need um, poster images and stuff, a um, good friend of mine, uh, he also does this series called Naked Boys Smoking Weed. 
Mm-hmm. Or boys naked smoking weed. I, I think I, I bought that. <laughs> he like, did. It was like an online magazine or something. Yeah. And he said, you know, he's told me a bit about how, like, um, you know, erotic models do reach out to photographers, and it's kind of this trade exchange. Mm. You know, I mean, I I remember in my early days after Drag Race, it was like that a lot with me and photographers. Like, photographers would reach out to me, say, "I want to shoot you." So then they have pictures of me in their portfolio, but then I also have their photos to use. It's kind of you know this mutual exchange of like. Um, the photographer gets new photos to show off and the model has new evidence of, yeah. of their beauty. <laughs> yeah, no, it is that. So you built your online presence, you built your social media presence, you teased out this for a long time. And I actually, we became friends before you started your site. And it's worth noting that your site came really before the OnlyFans boom. Mm-hmm. I don't think OnlyFans existed yet. No. And so your site is very similar to OnlyFans. You pay for a subscription, um, how however long you're subscribed. And I mean, you know, it's like most porn sites, but it's intimate like OnlyFans. It's set up like, you know, like, you know, any porn site, you pay for your subscription, but the aesthetic and the feeling of it is very much like at home with Sam Morris. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the early days, it was mostly pictures of you. And then you started branching out. And now you have a series called Other Boys and Lovers, Mm -hmm. which is um, full-blown porn, (laughs) except what I fucking love about your website is you set your erotic videos to classical music, which means you can be watching porn in your bedroom, and if someone walks by your bedroom door, they <laughs> yeah. just hear classical music and they don't hear all the the porn noises. Exactly. Um, and it's it's amazing how such a simple change from what we get from studio porn or most porn that you see on the internet, just the change of like um, setting it to classical music. Uh, you you film it from very interesting angles. You do take what would otherwise be porn and spin it in an artistic way. Mm. Um, w- what motivated you to do that in in that style and in this way? And um, what's the response been? I was just very inspired by like old, I don't know old erotic stuff from like the seventies and eighties and like. You know, like films like Blowjob by Andy Warhol, like stuff like that was more like outside of the box. And it felt like all of that stuff just wasn't happening anymore. It just felt very like mainstream, like um, kind of industrial porn that was just being churned out like a factory. And I churned out <laughs> literally. And and I, I just I wasn't really interested in doing that. Like I just wanted to do something that was, I don't know just a bit more like artistically stimulating at the same time like just challenge people a little bit i mean i still get obviously i still get people that are like irritated by the classical music oh really yeah they want to hear what do they they, say they just they're like i just want to hear what's what's going on and i'm just like well go to pornhub and go and watch something else like it's not what i'm doing like Mm. um and i've like teetered with it like i've there's there are some moments on there where i use like organic sound but it's more like it's just it's just not really like the whole idea of it, the whole idea was really to kind of romanticize, I guess, essentially like gay sexuality, mm-hmm. gay sex, like make it something that wasn't just so um, 
I know viscerally sexual, which is what it is in most mainstream porn. Like I wanted to do something that was a little bit more like coy and a little bit more romantic because it just it felt like that was sort of cleansed, particularly like through the AIDS crisis. And I've done I've read lots of books on it and like I know done research through the years because it does really fascinate me. But there was a there was a reason that a lot of that sort of artsy porn disappeared Mm -hmm. and it was because so many people fucking died and then Mm -hmm. they then went into money-making mode Mm -hmm. really through the 90s so that was why that the artsy fartsy stuff sort of disappeared and they went on a full kind of like we just need to make money this needs to be this isn't an industry and a business Mm -hmm. and i think that's why we saw this sort of renaissance of like you know these queer erotic filmmakers coming out of the woodwork again in the past 10 years but Mm -hmm. there was a big gap where it was sort of just empty was just absent from yeah. all sorts of erotica and like there wasn't really much going on but i wouldn't say it was an active like i don't i wouldn't say it was like um I, you know i set out to do that it was more just something i was passionate about mm-hmm. so i just did it were there inspirations were there like early queer erotic inspirations like i think um I had never seen the film Pink Narcissus mm-hmm. until recently. Um, the director of that film uh, passed away. Um, I'm terrible with names, so I don't know the name off the top of my head. Do you? Mm-mm. Pink Narcissus, have you seen I know, because I went to the exhibition at the Sex Museum in New you York. You know what? Why are we pretending like my computer isn't right here? Yeah. We're sitting on the closet. Let's just look it up together. Pink I, Narcissus. I always get this one confused with the French... Um... <laughs> Pink Narcissus, American art house drama film directed by James Bidgood, who um, recently passed away. Now, um, Pink Narcissus, it's like impossible to watch it on any streaming sites. However, if you look at porn tubes, it's up Mm. there because it's it's a very erotic film, but it's not outright porn or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, Your your work, um, it's funny that you... You, did you say you'd seen it? Sorry. <laughs> what pink narcissus? Yeah. No, I haven't. I saw. I've you seen the. Seen I've seen. I, w- I went to the the Bid Good exhibition in in the Sex Museum in New York. So I saw like I don't know a huge amount of it, and they were playing parts of it. But mm-hmm. I've never seen the full thing. Yeah. Well, um, having just watched it recently, you know, I I do find what I've seen on your website to be very similar, where it mm. feels like you're kind of a fly on the wall. Yeah. Watching. And and you mentioned that it's more romantic and less like, you know, grunty, sweaty sex. I mean, I'm sure you get worked up and sweaty, but <laughs> <laughs> but you could tell that there's a connection between the two models in it, um, whether it's you and another person or two people you're filming. You can see that these uh, this is like and this is what I think is so great about OnlyFans, self-produced porn. There's more intimacy there's more romance there it seems to be more genuine and authentic yeah um i've talked to people who work in studio porn um especially um a long time ago i was talking to someone who works in twink porn and i won't name names or say sites or anything but they essentially said it's like you know they get twink a and twink b and put them in a room together and turn the cameras on and just you know yeah Go at it, you know? (laughs) Like, so um, I think the difference in your site and what really resonates probably with me, but probably with most of your subscribers, is that there is this genuine, authentic connection that, that, like, really 
is visible, you know? You can tell that these two people want to be having sex with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and that makes all the difference in what you end up watching. And I always wanted it to be, like, equally me and them and, you know, really based on chemistry and, if you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I think there's a com there's a common misconception, and obviously you'll know if you know you're, you've been subscribed to my site for a long time. That I would say, like, there's I would say a lot of the 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 guys on Other Boys and Lovers. I would say like probably seventy percent of those people. It's just a soft erotic nude shoot. Mm -hmm. I don't actually hook up with these people mm -hmm. because I'm not a machine, and I, that's why like, <laughs> I can't. I, you know, I often, when I shoot these boys and a lot of them, you know, do have OnlyFans, I do sit down with them and I talk openly about them and like their relationship with sex uh, in regards to doing OnlyFans. And because you have to be really careful. There's like a line between like monetizing every time you have sex mm -hmm. that like really starts to like fuck your sex life up. Mm -hmm. Because if you're if you're not knowing how to have sex privately and enjoy it personally without thinking the camera's not on, like we need to we need to roll this because this is, you know, I should mm -hmm. be making money out of this. And, and a lot of them, that is what happens. Like a lot of these, um, a lot of the guys on OnlyFans will monetize pretty much almost every single sexual encounter that they have. And it gets two or three years down the line and you start to like burn out mm -hmm. and you don't know where the lines are between you and the person that's on the OnlyFans. They're, they're, they, you know, you need to create those sort of boundaries. And I, I started to lose that sense of self when I, when I was in Berlin and I was really going at it mm -hmm. for a while. Um, and I did have to sort of take a step back and be like, I need to like, I need to remember that I'm a human that needs to have sex privately. That's yeah. not, you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, that there's not like cameras watching me do it and me thinking because no matter, you know, you know, no matter how organic it is, it's still performative. If yeah. you're, if you know, there's a, if there's a camera on a fucking tripod, mm -hmm. you're aware of it. You're, you are aware of that camera on a tripod. It doesn't matter like, you yeah. know, how natural you can be. And I think that's why, you know, when you're then going into your personal sex life and there's no camera on a tripod anymore, you, you I, I don't know, like sometimes people don't know how to um, sink back into that, into their personal life again and yeah. think, how do I enjoy sex, you know, in a private environment again? Well, I think this is a very good point to the fact that sex work is work. Mm. And um, hearing you describe that kind of reminds me of like, you know, drag used to be something that I did because I was passionate about it as an expression. It was also my way of exploring my femininity. It was my way of exploring the the full spectrum of my gender identity. And then it became my career. And now I don't do drag for fun anymore. I mean, I find ways to make the work of it fun, you know, and I find ways to make it new and different and exciting for me. And the fact that I write my own shows and I, I write most of my own work, you know, um, and I collaborate with friends, that keeps it fun and exciting for me. But I don't do drag to go out to the club anymore. You know, I don't do drag just for the hell of it. Yeah. I don't practice makeup in my spare time. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, there used to be a time when I would get into drag and go out and party all night and I'd be in drag for 12 hours and love yeah. every second of it. I think part of that is that I've embraced my gender identity in my day-to-day -day life. So I'm not needing drag as that outlet for my yeah. gender expression. Totally. But a big part of it is that it's become my work. Yeah. And... um that's why when guys on Grinder, you know, want to fuck me in drag, I'm like, oh. excuse me, that's like asking, like, 
That's asking someone to wear like their their <laughs> bank teller yes. clothes, you know, or yeah. like that's like asking me that's like asking someone at McDonald's to wear their McDonald's uniform in yeah. bed. They don't want to fucking do that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Maybe I don't know. Um, I'm not kink shaming. If you are out there and you like wearing your work clothes to bed. <laughs> you go Glen Coco. But for me, um, it's just not comfortable and and I wanna be able to really let loose in bed. Yeah. Um, I think it's you know, it's great that you identified that in yourself and you countered that. Um, because, you know, I have a lot of friends who are OnlyFans models and I I I have a a friend who said they don't re they're not really a sexual person in their day to day life. So without the camera rolling, they don't really, mm. you know, they, they don't really get into that. That might work for them. And then I have other friends who say that, like, I have friends who have um, been an escort for years and it's really hard to then enjoy sex when they have to kind of like you know, have sex as a part of their job. It it, it, it does skew the way yeah. your brain and your body responds to things. I think the thing is, is that it's been a, you know, this is this is a this is a, a a problem of time, like from time immemorial of porn stars not knowing, you know, the, the the blurred lines really in between their professional sex life and their private sex life. Like it's, I'm sure if you ask any therapist that had had a porn star as a client they're going to bring up sex as a, mm. as a as a talking point at some point the the it's okay listeners we are in the heart, <laughs> heart. of london um this is literally the best place we can record right now but it's still there's no way to escape the the sounds of um crime <laughs> lester square um what is Charing Cross? I don't yes. know. <laughs> um, we are literally across the street from the theater that's playing The Cursed Child. Yes. <laughs> this is a very bustling neighborhood. But, you know, it makes it kind of feel authentic, you know? We're talking about sex and, and work and sex work and there's sirens going by. Still and going we can hear the rustling of Sam's trousers yes. every, every few moments. I want to talk to you um, after success. You, you know, you support yourself with your with your erotic art career. You support yourself with your website. But recently, you released a book about poetry. No, a book of poetry, not about poetry. It's poetry by Sam Morris. Um, tell us a little bit about your book and what inspired you to you know branch out in such a different direction. I mean, it's. It's more of a book of essays. Okay. <laughs> there is some poetry in that. Um, I I was writing a lot over the, the, you know, the last, well, basically my whole life, to be honest. But but the essays read poetically. Well, of course, babe. <laughs> of course. Um, no, I was writing a lot. And then when the pandemic happened, it was kind of a moment for me to be able to learn, actually, I can put some time and energy into creating this book that I've wanted to create. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's just like a no-holds-barred, kind of almost like a diary of sorts, journal um, of me in this extremely chaotic time of my life, falling in and out of love, having crazy hookups, having like really dark bouts of depression. And I was kind of scared to actually publish it. And then like, since I have, like it's 
it's the feedback I've had from people all over the world. It's been like astounding, really. Like I don't think that people have really had a book that's been that. I mean, I'm sure there is one, but the feedback is that it's so raw, so, so raw it's almost uncomfortable for me. Like when I read it back, it makes me want to cringe and I kind of think, oh my God, what did I do publishing this? Um, but yeah, it's so, it's so, so raw. And I think that a lot of, so many queer people go through that rawness, like that horrifying rawness of like, whether it's to do with sex or love or depression or identity, sense of self, like, but it's not really t- talked about in such a, I know, extreme way like it's such an honest way and I really did it in an honest way like it's 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 quite brutally honest that book so you left the typos in I left all the typos yeah. in yes <laughs> the notes are still in the margins and I kind of wish doodles yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been really cool um but yeah and it's yeah it's it sold like thousands of copies and I, I was really quite shocked to be honest because mm. um I know it's just little old me but people yeah people really really enjoyed it and um and it reached so many people as well. Like I had like, had like a lot of um, cis women. Okay, this is really random, but the book randomly went viral on TikTok because I made a TikTok about the book, mm. and it happened to go viral. And then all of these like, like cis white women or like teenage girls started buying <laughs> the book, and it basically sold out from this TikTok. And I was thinking. Oh my god, they don't know. They don't know. They do not know <laughs> what this book is. <laughs> like they do not know what they're getting themselves in for. And then I got like so many messages from these people being like thank you for like essentially like giving them a window in to look into a world that they'd never mm-hmm. they would never have the chance to look into. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something that they would like, you know, this stuff goes on behind closed doors and I think most queer people know that. We yeah. purposely create it so it's behind closed doors. That stuff is underground. We push it underground. We keep it out of the mainstream, like, to protect ourselves, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was quite beautiful, actually. That was quite beautiful, having that sort of response from people. It did. It, it, it didn't make... It made me feel quite... Um, it was a bit of a relief, actually, because mm-hmm. it made me feel like, actually, all of us on this planet have our own struggles, really. They're mm-hmm. all just kind of, I don't know, relevant to our own experience. Um, and so, yeah, um, it's called Don't Fall In Love, Sam, by the way. Because <laughs> that's what a boy said to me once when we were in the middle of... It, he said that to you in the middle of lovemaking? Yes. In the middle of fucking? Um, yes. A bit presumptuous, huh? He was telling you not to fall in love with him. Don't fall in love, Sam. Yeah. And what he- did you say in response? Too late. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My eyes, I think my face said too late. I was like, oh, of course not. Don't worry about it. Of course, I then went on to date him for like another six months because Mm -hmm. I am a clown, pure clownery. Um, But yeah, and then I wrote a book about it. And he reached out to me actually, randomly. How dare you? And he said, "Um, I just wondered why you named the book Don't Fall in Love, Sam. And I was like, don't you remember? And he was like, yeah, I do actually. That's why I. That's why I wondered. And he was like, "Are you like dragging me through the mud?" <laughs> and I was like, "No, because it's not really about you. It's about me, the mm-hmm. book." And so I sent him a copy. He was like, "Can you send me a copy?" I was like, "Yeah, I'll send you a copy." And he actually really loved it. He even posted it on his social media and was like, oh. "I really recommend this book." <laughs> that, um, I have an ex-boyfriend um, uh, from middle school. We were we were the two openly 
gay boys in our middle school. And he wrote a memoir. Um, and it includes a whole chapter on our relationship in middle school, including how I broke his heart, essentially. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read it. I'm t- I am I love <laughs> Sam. So his name's Sam. Oh, okay. <laughs> his name's Sam. Sam Lansky. Um, and you broke his heart, too. The, the memoir. Oh, yeah. I don't know that he describes it as breaking his heart, but I basically, as a, as a 14-year-old middle school student well, yeah. cheated on my middle school boyfriend <laughs> at a slumber party and he wrote a chapter about it um because i went to a slumber party and played truth or dare with a couple of closeted boys and um oh, and then and then we broke up because of it and um you know i still as a virgo with anxiety and ocd i still hold massive guilt about this but <laughs> he was able to use it in his book and he and i are good friends now um the the memoir is called um the Gilded Razor, and it's a bestseller. I haven't read any of it because I'm too scared. Um, it, it's not even. It's barely like I'm a I'm a blip in the book, but I'm too scared to read. And at least you were like only 14 <laughs> in it, and it wasn't like last year. <laughs> last year. I've I've learned many lessons since then, but um, it's nerve wracking. It, I'm sure it was nerve wracking for Sam to write about his life so intimately. It was nerve wracking for. Um, me to know that this like it's probably more this... nerve wracking for you. I, I for <laughs> me it was more cathartic. Mm-hmm. I really found it quite like I'd released the demon. Like mm-hmm. I just got it out. That's a. I mean, that's exactly how I describe when I use personal stories in my work on stage. Mm. Is that if I don't get them out on stage, they're gonna they're gonna live inside Wallow. of me. Yeah, and I get all my demons out on stage so that I can be a happy, lighter person in my day to day life. Yeah. So, um, so this ex of yours, supportive of the book, is happy. Much like Sam and I, I'm. I, I actually, um, the 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 digital show that I used to do called Jinx Calls Her Friends is what inspired this podcast. And I had Sam Lansky on um, <laughs> on an episode of Jinx Calls Her Friends, and we talked about the book and. Um, we're very amiable now. And what's funny is um, the book also deals a lot with his addiction as a teenager. Um, and because of his years of addiction, he needed help remembering exactly what happened. Mm. So I actually not only consented to being written about in his <laughs> memoir, but we had a four-hour phone call where I basically relived all those memories with him and it was actually quite cathartic because um i'm gonna have to have him on it as the next guest now the next gay sam but it was cathartic (laughs) because um you know these were things that i held guilt and shame about for years and now i was helping him use this story that belongs to both of us uh, to create art and to possibly help other people who have similar experiences or and can relate to these experiences. And so that's that's the beautiful thing about putting your art out into the world. Sometimes you're connecting with people who are getting a window into something they've never known or never seen before. And sometimes you're connecting with people who have been through similar experiences and it just helps to know that you're not the only one who's mm. been through this. So, so you 
X Factor. You were on X Factor in a boy band. You were in a boy band represented by a label. You are an erotic artist with your own erotic website. Um, you are an author, an accomplished author at that. What else? What else do you do and what else do you want to do? Oh, gosh. Um, so at the moment, I've been working, actually, I'm writing a lot more. Um, I think actually my next steps will be going back to my performance or theatre route mm-hmm. and to be to write something. Am I correct in remembering that you were a ballet dancer? I was a I was a professional dancer, so I trained in musical theatre. Um, Sorry to sidetrack you for a second, but that reminds me of a point. One thing I've really appreciated, um, you know. I've seen posts, um, I can't remember the, the last time I saw a post like this, but I know I've seen posts from your Instagram account, you know, where, you know, the picture is showing off your extremely beautiful body, your extremely well-fit body, um, uh, you're, you're very fit, as they say, um, and then the caption, and it says basically, don't think, you know, like I was a dancer for years, I don't always eat perfectly. Mm. I'm not, like, obsessed with working out, you know? Mm. Like, you mentioned to me before we were recording that you were at the gym today. But the caption in the... (laughs) So you do work out. You do take care of your body. But you still live your life. And from what I got from the caption, it was saying, like, don't compare your body to mine. Don't, Don't think that, you know, this just... Yeah, you can't. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, you just cannot. I mean, I obviously because of because of the way I show my body off online. Of course, I get people messaging me like, "What's your gym routine?" or "What's you know, what do you eat?" And I'm like, I was a professional dancer. I went to professional dance school. I was in ballet at eight thirty every morning and danced for nine and a half hours every day mm-hmm. for three years solidly from the age of like sixteen. And even leading up to that, I was dancing so much up to that point. That deforms and changes your body in a way mm-hmm. that non-dancers will never know. Mm-hmm. And so, like now, I go to the gym a lot, but it's mainly t- as maintenance. Otherwise, my body mm-hmm. will fall apart. Like mm-hmm. I have to. I have to train my core. I have to make sure that I stay strong because you push your body to body to such an extreme when you train as a professional dancer so you know I think a lot of people who are who are dancers and even non-dancers look at look at my body and they can tell that I used to be a dancer because I have muscles that can't be I don't know they don't like they're created at the bar mm-hmm. you know it's not something that the you ballet get, bar. yeah <laughs> they're not they are not that bar um <laughs> well, what, what I appreciate about that candor is that I feel like you're simultaneously saying one this body doesn't just happen you know mm. Um, you, it's something that you work at and maintain. But two, um, don't compare your body. Don't compare my body to yours. You know, this is this. Your body is circumstantial from the life that you've led. And yeah. I think right now we're at this point where so much of our lives are being lived on social media, and so much of it is an illusion. Yeah. You know, your your aesthetic that the world sees is heavily curated by you in you know in effort for your work. Um, so many celebrities are using filters and and touching up their photos so that they're giving this highly curated experience. And then, you know, then <laughs> the people viewing these things, they they see it and they think, if I don't look like that, there's something wrong with me. And they start comparing themselves to what is 
essentially a curated experience for entertainment. Totally. And totally. I appreciated your candor with that because, you know, it, it, it was it was saying that, like, you work at maintaining this body, but it's also like it's circumstantial and, and yeah. don't expect your body to look like that. You know, and it's very hard because there's this fine line of like not wanting to apologize for your body, but then also wanting to celebrate it and also not send out this this kind of unclear message that, you know, you can have this body, too, yeah. because I, you know, I'm not saying that. In fact, like when most people message me privately and they're like, please tell me your gym routine. And I'm like, I went to ballet school for like every day mm-hmm. my whole teenage years. I'm, I, I've practically got body dysmorphia from staring at myself in a mirror in ballet tights and a vest mm-hmm. every single morning through my developmental years like the way like it's not attainable and it shouldn't be actually because mm. you know I've I've been I've been the chiropractor and the osteopath or whatever and they're like you need to you need to continue doing yoga and pilates for the rest of your life otherwise your back is just going to give out mm. like it's not it's it obviously is aesthetically pleasing and I love using it for that mm. in my work of course like of course I'm going to celebrate my body but on the other, on the flip side of the coin, it's like it didn't just come from me eating chicken and broccoli and going to the gym every day mm-hmm. for six days a week. It just mm-hmm. didn't. It didn't come from that. <laughs> and I think that's a lot of the time. Is it does on you know on online on social media, it does come from that. It comes from this insanely unhealthy. I know. Um, you're trying to reach this unattainable goal essentially and you kind of like become a slave and to food and yeah, I gym mean, and... because you know we can all get our body to the ideal place we want our body to be. But I think the important message from it is that my body isn't going to look like your body, Mm -hmm. even doing the same things that you do. I also used to, I was never a professional dancer, but I danced through all of my teen years. Mm -hmm. And I used to be, you know, like svelte and thin and flexible. And I haven't maintained it through the years. And, um, you know, different priorities took over in my life. That said, I could have done pretty much everything the same as you and our bodies would look entirely different. Yeah, totally. And I think the misconception right now with so much of our culture being image-based and social media-based is that we need to, like, if I, you know, deny myself every pleasure and if I put myself through hell, I'll have this body that I admire. But it's really about, like, find... Find the way to admire your body. And I know that's such a cliche saying, but it's like, I'm, you know, I'm not as thin as I once was. I'm not as young or as flexible as I once was, but my sex life is better Mm. than ever because I like... I like who I am and I I present it in a way that people... I welcome people to like me as well. Ironically, I think that the, the, the quickest way to peace with your body is to stop chasing that unattainable goal. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that the people who are probably at least with, uh, at least at peace with their own body are the people who are at the gym 24-7 trying to chase this unattainable goal. Because, I mean, even to myself, like, I obviously I've got, like, a certain amount of body dysmorphia from dance training and, like I said, being ridiculed for being so skinny in front of the mirror by my ballet coaches, whatever else. Um, and it still it plagues me now, still. Mm. Like, it plagues me now. Like, I look at other people's bodies on social media and I think, I'll never look like that. Mm. Like no matter how hard I try, I know now, almost 34 years old, I will never look like that. Sam, stop trying. Why are you still trying? Like that's, just That's the next book. Sam, stop, stop trying. Stop trying. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Love that.
so you said you want to uh, your your next endeavor is to get back into performing and being on stage. What would be? Do you have a dream role? Do you have a dream project you'd work on? I would love to do like some. I mean, ideally, I would love to do some like queer indie film or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like that would be fun. But to go back to stage would be quite cool. To mm-hmm. do like a little gay play, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm writing at the moment. I'm mm-hmm. like, I've been writing for the last few months, working on some like little things. Um, I'm from theatre, babe. <laughs> I'm a performer. You Brits, you Brits, the way you say babe always gets me together. The way, I'm from theatre, babe. Yeah, I'm look theater, at babe. look at this, babe. Don't worry about it, babe. I love that. That's my background. So what, that's calling out to me again. What is your it. dialect? Where does your dialect come from within within the UK? Uh, is this a is this a posh dialect? Is no, this a... no, no. I'm well. I, I I'm not a very good example because I had my real accent kicked out of me at theatre school. Uh-huh, they okay. took that right out of me. I mean, yeah, my, you know, like, <laughs> basically, not only did I have my lateral lisp neutralized at acting school, mm. but then I became a voice coach to help other, other, other yeah. very, very queer young people. But, you know, here's the thing. I look back on it, and it's this, like, it's this double-edged thing, because it's like, there's a part of me that's like... I don't feel good that I helped like young queer people like mm. neutralize their speaking voice. But then also as an actor, I do know that you want to make conscious choices in everything you do. You know, if you're going to be an effective actor, you want to make sure everything that you're doing is a choice that you made and not yeah. just happening on accident. Of course. I mean, I'm from actually from Essex, mm-hmm. which if you know anything about that. Essex is I like not... new money, right? <laughs> I, I, trust me, I do. I would, I do. I am not a good representation of the Essex accent anymore. Anyone would know, any British person would know that. Um, but it was rinsed out of me, babe, at theatre school. Mm-hmm. Like the, we had a terrifying speech teacher. But what teacher. would the Essex um, dialect sound like? <sighs> I don't even know. Like, <laughs> I don't even know. Give us a taste. Come on. You must have like Gemma Collins. Gemma Collins. Gemma Collins, like, um, like, <laughs> hi, honey. It's very like, Can it's I make very you a nasal, cup of tea? very nasal, very It's funny. like offering someone a grand. Yeah. yeah, very that. <laughs> I only know Gemma Collins from what my, my husband has shown me on Big Brother. Yes. Gemma Collins um, and um, New York, uh, Tiffany Pollard. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's not And of course, the... um, Kitty Scott Claus played uh, Gemma Collins and Gemma. Gemma. Yeah. <laughs> Cheryl Hall is um, from Essex. Okay. But I don't even okay. know. I don't even think Cheryl Hall has got a really strong Essex accent. Not onto the not to the levels of like Gemma Collins. Mm-hmm. So but would you call your current accent more? It's um, just neutral London. Neutral London. Yeah. Okay. A neutral London accent. Yeah. It was that was kicked out of me for a young age. <laughs> yeah. The speech teacher used to take her shoe off and throw it at us. If she. she I can hear Essex. She'd throw the shit. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Um I think I think about this um I think about this one student I was tutoring for a while um who is now a boylesque performer mm. and a cabaret performer and I think I was asked to work with him to help him neutralize his lisp but now his lisp is like front and center in all of his work. Oh wow. And that's what I'm saying is like uh, acting school typically neutralizes you mm. so that if you want to do something that's idiosyncratic or um, that's very 
eclectic to you um, that it's a conscious choice yeah, and yeah. and and then you, and then you do sometimes choose to put those things front and center apparently if I'm drunk uh-huh. you become Essex I sound Essex <laughs> okay <laughs> that, apparently it comes out a lot when I'm drunk but I'm not aware of that <laughs> um, what I one of the things I love most about being your friend is um, you the aesthetic that you present online is very butch and very masculine, <laughs> um, very very queer. But you know you've you've got a hairy body. You're ripped with muscles. You're oftentimes scowling and you know very like kind of uh, brooding in your photos. And then I spend time with you, and you're just this soft, somewhat nerdy little sweetheart. <laughs> it's true. It's very very true. That's um, why I said it's like an alter ego. It's like something I've created. That almost like I like him. He's fun. Like he's mm-hmm. fun. He's sexy. He's confident. He doesn't give a fuck. It's so different from me. So that's why it's kind of fun to have that person that I've created. Sounds like it sounds like your drag, My drag. is when you're completely naked. Yes. <laughs> yes. Most drag artists, you know, are covered in makeup and clothes. Yes. Your drag is when you are fully nude. Yes. Um there's one last topic, and we talked about it a little bit, um, just you and I out at dinner the other night. And I think it's a really wonderful um, conversation to have for listeners to hear. But, you know, feel free to share h- however much or as little as you feel like. Um, we were talking as uh, we are both um, people in committed ethically non-monogamous relationships. We're both in otherwise known as open relationships. Um, And you and I were talking at dinner with my husband and the point of view that you were sharing and the things that you were saying about your open relationship were so in line with the person that I am in my, like I'm the Sam in in my relationship. I, I thought it was, you know, it was a really, it was really wonderful to hear someone just speak so unapologetically about, this is what I need from my relationship. This is how I'm able to be in a committed relationship and mm. um, uh, share with us some, whatever you feel like sharing, but some of the, some of the boundaries and some of the things that are um what you and your partner have decided upon for your open relationship? Um, I mean, I think the open relationships don't just happen overnight. They take a lot of work, as you all know, mm-hmm. we talked about. Um, I think it's a lot of different paths that you have to explore and work out what you're comfortable with. And, you know, it's it's about, you know, growing in that together. Um, I think one of the biggest things to me as well, that there was a, it was like a, a, this idea of not, needing someone but wanting them Mm -hmm. and I think changing those words in my head because I've been really in monogamous relationships for a long time in my life and the idea of being in a relationship with someone that I want to be with and not need to be with Mm -hmm. was a real like game changer for me because it, it kind of meant that I can like still have sex with other people because you know I still have a taste for sex with strangers. I want different kind of flavors in my life. I don't want just you know the same thing for the rest of my life. You know mm. I'm not. I don't want to subscribe to that heteronormative church thing, right? Um, but then the idea that I can have that thing, I can have this sort of like, I can have this freedom and I can have like sex with strangers, or whatever. But I still want to be with my partner. Mm-hmm. I still want that. 
And I think that's the most, that's such a powerful thing for both people because to know that you're still, no matter if they're having casual sex with other people, that they still want you. They still want to come back to you. They still mm-hmm. want to spend the night with you. They still want to do life things with you. That was like actually more powerful to me than the idea of need. Mm-hmm. The idea of being like in a, a having a ball and chain mm-hmm. and needing to be home at some time, needing to do this and needing to be committed to them and monogamous. And this idea of changing that to want was like such a powerful thing for me in my head when it came to like, exploring this relationship and we spoke so much about it and obviously I said to you I keep it very private because mm-hmm. obviously because what I do with my with my work so heavily involved in sex 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 mm-hmm. I had to I want to keep a part of my life private and personal and so I do choose to do that it's completely off the internet mm-hmm. As much as he would love to be a part of my work, probably, like he said many times that he would love to be, you know, one of the boys or something like that, like on cameras. And I'm like, no, mm-mm. <laughs> no, I'm allowed. I want something sacred, mm-hmm. you know, and that's my that's my part. That's my, you know, my private life. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what your what your thoughts are on that. I mean, we just we talked well, about it. I, I don't know. I, I think what it was is that I know lots of people in open relationships, but um, one of the things that was refreshing for me to hear and kind of reassuring for me to hear is that there's this anxiety about like, well, what if I'm the sluttier one? Mm. And what if I have five hookups in the time that he has one hookup? And, you know, yes. and but then at the end of the day, trusting that your partner already knows that about you. And yeah. already, like, if they've already entered into the relationship and if they've already agreed, they must know, you know, like, yeah. it's not going to be a surprise to them. You and your partner have a don't ask, don't tell policy. Yes. Because you'd rather not hear all the details. My, uh, Michael and I are more circumstance-based, you know. We um, we talk to each other pretty much about everything, but in our own time and in the way that we feel like it's not like had a hookup, got to call Michael and tell him every single detail of it right now, you know. And that's the other thing that was really nice to hear is that, like, healthy, open relationships they all look different, you know, different people have different boundaries. Um, But to hear that I'm not the only one who thinks all the thoughts of like, oh gosh, like uh, I'm the sluttier one. I'm, (laughs) he's probably going to hate hearing that I, you know, like, uh, or, or feeling ashamed of like, you know, um, being the hornier one or the one, you know, like, giving your partner the benefit of the doubt that if you're like however many years into this relationship, they probably know just how horny you are, you know? (laughs) Of course. And then I think after time, you know, it sometimes can be tricky at first and it wasn't easy for me at first in in our relationship, but it's, it's through time that you start to realize that it, it actually is, it's, it's separate to what Mm. you have with that person. Mm. And you're still allowed it. It doesn't affect what you have, mm-hmm. you know. If your bond is strong strong enough, um, it's quite interesting, you know, navigating the, like how you can, you can, there's so many different like avenues for sex. Sex isn't just like binary. It's not just like, you know, you, now you're in a relationship, you have to have sex with that one person for the rest of your life. Your entire sexual appetite has to change mm-hmm. of what you've known and what you've explored as a single mm-hmm. person. Like, why can we not have the sex 
you know, the, the sex life that we enjoy as a single person and have the sex life inside a relationship and enjoy that. For me, they're two separate things and they're two different things. And there's mm. other different things amongst those different things. There's yeah. so many different kinds of sexual things that, you know, we talked about before that I like exploring in different ways or whatever else that don't make me a bad person. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't make, it doesn't make, I think this idea that, and it's quite, when you go on TikTok now, it's quite worrying to see that like the younger kind of generations of Gen Z, they, they're really anti-open relationships. They see it really like they're not a fan of it at all. Hmm. It's very like pro-monogamy. Um, and I think this, this is weird thing of like the only, the way, the only way that you can really prove that you love someone is by only, is literally making that other person own your body is so you're giving that your body to that person to own essentially for the rest of your life and i just don't subscribe to that i just think it's absolutely bullshit and i don't think that it is representative of love i think it's something more sinister and i think it's something that you need to work out mm -hmm. yourself in in if that's what your representation of what love is it's something insidious almost it's it's odd and like you can see it in in divorce yeah you can see it in divorce yeah. <laughs> And I also, I've been, I used to do this um, solo show um, called Cursed um, that's all about my past sex life and what I've learned through the years um, as a, and how I arrived at being a sex positive ethical slut. Mm. And um, <laughs> uh, one of the big things I've learned is we're conditioned to believe that a relationship is two halves coming together to create a whole. Mm. And that's a fucked up way to think of it. Totally. Because that's conditioning you to believe that you're incomplete on your own. Totally. And that you're living your life as half a person until you find that one. Yeah. And so when we erase the idea of a relationship being two halves creating a whole, then you realize it's two individual people choosing to be together. Yeah. And how you choose to be together is entirely up to you. Yeah. So I have nothing against monogamy, but I had to finally in my life accept that monogamy is not right for me. And, um, you know, Michael and I decided to be open because we started dating and um, I almost had, I, I was like freaking out because um, we, we said we were going to be monogamous and that lasted for about a day because I was so <laughs> scared that I was going to either have to deny this part of myself yeah. or I was going to miss out on this relationship exactly. with this person. You're, you're, you're told to choose. And, and it's, that's, that's so, it's like a trapped fear. It's a scary feeling to be trapped in. Like, do I have to choose now between, you know, that sexual side of me or being with this person that I really like? And it's yeah. just this horrible choice. And when I decided, like, I was like, well, do I tell Michael that... Um, God, I'm saying his name a lot today. It's probably because he's in the other room. Uh, <laughs> putting him on blast. Um, do I tell my partner, um, you know, do I tell my partner or do I pretend like this is going to be okay? Yeah. Um, and the fear and anxiety of eventually making a mistake or eventually not, you know, upholding. I mean, like I said before, at 14 years old, I couldn't stop myself from going to that slumber party and exactly, <laughs> playing truth or dare. So, um, you know, uh, so we had the talk. I, I chose to communicate rather than keep it to myself. And that's basically been the reason Michael and I have um, been together this whole time yeah. is every step of the way um, we have chosen to communicate 
rather than keep things to ourselves. And it's not always easy. And a lot of the times it's an uncomfortable conversation and it's it's not fun. And sometimes it can become an argument. But we do it rather than secrets and lies yeah. because that's the alternative, you know? It is, yeah. And that's the relationship killer. Not how many people we have sex with outside of our relationship. No, of course not. But secrets and lies are the uh, would be the thing that would kill our relationship. So, um, Deedle, if you're listening, sorry I brought you up so much today. Sam, we have here, we, me, sitting here on the floor with you. Um, <laughs> on hijinks, I have some compulsory questions that I ask every guest. Oh gosh, okay. It has come to that time. Question the first. Who is your celebrity crush today? Harry Styles. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I think he's so wildly sexy. Uh, I mean, Harry Styles is the poster boy for... Harry Styles, Timothy Chalamet, um, Sean Mendes, poster boys for gay baiting, I queer know, baiting. But what I like about Harry Styles is I do he's believe British. he's doing. <laughs> yeah, he's British. I obviously have a taste for him. I do believe he's doing the work to be an ally. I do believe he is yes. helping things. He is helping in the work of like destigmatizing. Um, male femininity, destigmatizing men dressing in expressive ways. Yes. But you can't deny that there's some queer baiting there. Of course. You know. I'm sure (laughs) his team know that. But do I care? (laughs) No. I want to, you know, have you seen those pictures of him in the tutu and the tights for SNL? I want to take those tights and shove them down my throat. (laughs) I just cannot with that man. I just can't. I cannot. It's so hot. I think I'll, you know what? You're my celebrity crush today. Um, I, uh, I followed, I've followed you online for what seems like centuries. And, um, it's been a long time, babe. It's, uh, yeah, we have been friends. We've been friends since pretty much the first time I came to the UK. It's a long time, yeah. Ages ago. Um, wow. And you know what? Relationships take work. Uh, yes, <laughs> and this one's been a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> um, second question is what is your go-to karaoke song my go-to karaoke song mm. oh, fuck do you know what it is what it used to be because I don't really do karaoke much anymore but it used to be the cell block tango did you sing all six parts absolutely uh-huh. unless can... I was with my friend and then we would do one each um, did you do the Hungarian I well I used to I used to obviously not read it as I as it was, but I used to make up a language. Make up a... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Gibberish. Yes. Um, and your final question is, um, are you spiritual? Um, not really, babe. Okay. That's fine. Did you see my altar when you came in? Yeah, but, I, you know, but you've always altar. been like that. Like, I feel like a lot of my <laughs> friends are like that. I'm just very cynical. Mm-hmm. So, no. I mean, I'd probably, I'd probably have more peace in my heart if I was, but... Mm. No, not really. Well, I don't know. You know, my my practice of witchcraft is extremely in conjunction with therapy. I really started practicing witchcraft as a way to basically help myself with the daily anxieties and 
and frets and worries that I have. Mm. And um, so it's less about worshiping any kind of higher power and mm. more about strengthening myself against myself, yeah. strengthening myself against my own self-sabotage and casting spells and doing charms and um, collecting crystals is, uh, to me, just an extension of the work that I do with my therapist. That said, I love Greek mythology. I worship the goddesses of, you know... Oh, I love that stuff. <laughs> I do love that stuff. Yeah, and, and you know, it's sometimes it doesn't have to be more than, like, you just like it, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. So. But do you believe in ghosts is what I want to know. <laughs> no, babe. Okay. <laughs> That's Sorry, right. I'm really... <laughs> no, that's all right. <laughs> no, not Thank really. you so much for joining me in my sauna closet today, Thanks. Sam. Thank you for your candor. and Sweating buckets over here. <laughs> it's, we're really starting to musk up the place. Yeah. Um, thank you for your candor, for being so generous with your, your life stories. Um, the website is sammorrisisme.com. Sammorris.me. Sammorris.me. That's it. Sorry. I confused it with some other past yeah. Sam Morris yeah, iteration. Yeah, because were the beginning, yeah. SamMorris.me. Yeah. SamMorris.me. That's S-A-M-M-O-R-R-I-S dot me. Um, go subscribe if you are a fan of the erotic arts. Um, you can follow Sam Morris at Sam... At just Sam Morris. At Just Sam Morris on Instagram, Twitter. Twitter, TikTok, yeah. Twitter, TikTok. I'm very new to TikTok, and I'm not very invested. Um, I didn't know that young people were into monogamy. You could have fooled me, because all the 22-year-olds <laughs> I sleep with uh, <laughs> think that it's great. They love my open relationship. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sam, thank you once more. Um, let me pull up my little script here because oh, yes, we were working without an outline today. So I um, I don't have all my little lines in front of me, but here we go. I got it. Um, thanks so much for listening to Hi Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon and we have new episodes every Wednesday. So make sure to search for Hi Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else. And I'll see you next Wednesday for some more. Hi, Jinx! Forever! Dog. To listen to Hi, Jinx, ad free and one day early, sign up for Mom Plus at mompodcasts.plus. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, a.k.a. Mom. Hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon. Produced by Joseph Shepard. Editing and sound designed by Will Pitts. And executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Big Dipper, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.